Hello, and welcome to the Writers Guild Foundation podcast. I'm Enid Portuguez, the Communications Director for the Foundation. Today's recording is from our masterclass with writer, showrunner, and actor Mike O'Malley. Before creating and running the hit stars series Survivor's Remorse, which premieres its third season on July 24th, by the way, O'Malley earned an Emmy nomination for his performance as Burt Hummel on Glee. And he also had memorable roles in the CBS comedy Yes, Dear, and appeared in features such as Eat, Pray, Love, 28 Days, and Deep Impact. In this discussion, he speaks with LA Times TV editor Sarah Rodman about that transition between both careers and the lessons he learned while he was juggling it all. Our apologies for some of the distortion in the recording. We don't have a fancy soundboard at these events, so sound tends to be impacted depending on how loudly people talk. But we hope that doesn't keep you from extracting some of O'Malley's wisdom and advice. We have some fun events and talks going on this summer, so check out the lineup on wgfoundation.org. Until then, enjoy this masterclass with Mike O'Malley. Hey everyone, uh, thank you. Oh, thank you for the claps. Uh, a couple of people clapped. Thank you. That's the only reason why I stand up here, really. I go home and cry because I need to be affirmed every day. Um, like we all do, we're writers. Uh, we all need to be affirmed. Um, so thank you guys so much for coming. Uh, it's really important. Uh, a lot of you saw what's happening on the first floor in the library. Uh, that's our uh, Vets Writing Workshop. That is free uh, to all people who have served in the military because you guys are here tonight. Um, so we do, and the library is free and open to the public because you guys are here tonight. Uh, so the, the tickets that you purchase help all of our, out, our community outreach. Um, and we really, really appreciate you guys being here. Uh, so thank you. Yeah, yeah, thank you guys. That applause was for me, but really it was for you guys. Uh, So thank you. Uh, tonight is totally sold out, so that's awesome. Uh, next week, uh, we have Models Jessica Jones, which is totally sold out. Uh, the following week, we have Breaking In at Any Age, which is almost sold out. So if anybody wants to go to that, I would recommend buying a ticket in the next few days. Um, and then in July, we have uh, Escape from Development Hell. We're going to have a bunch of execs up here uh, talking about how to either live in Development Hell or escape from it. Um, so uh, there'll be a lot of water and ice to cool us down. I don't know. That joke went nowhere. Uh, we'll be hosting uh, Ferris uh, Naj. If you haven't seen Carol, it's like a perfect film. Uh, so seriously, watch Carol and, and come and listen to Phyllis Naj at the end of July. Uh, I want to quickly thank the entire STARS team for making tonight happen. Uh, and if you came to Outlander last week or uh, a couple of our events the week before, they, they've been amazing. Uh, so thank you, STARS, for making tonight happen. And, uh, yeah, yeah, and thank you for making this show happen, uh, too. Um, so this is an amazing show, and it's a really exciting night. Um, so tonight is, is mainly special because uh, our panelist tonight is one of only two men in my life who have made me cry. Uh, I won't tell you the other man. It was my dad. Um, uh, But it was all good tears. It was all happy tears. Uh, And if you've watched Glee, you know what I mean. Uh, But it's also special since uh, he's been able to transition between uh, writing and acting and acting and writing. Uh, And that's very rare to to maintain a career trajectory like he's had. Uh, So listen, take notes. Uh, It's going to be an amazing, amazing uh, discussion. And it's my pleasure to introduce our moderator tonight. Uh, She's a television editor at the LA Times, Sarah Rodman. Sarah? 
Hi, everybody. So, you know, the word genius is overused. So I'm not going to apply it to Mike O'Malley. <laughs> but he is incredibly talented. And uh, like our host Chris just said, has moved from acting to writing also to producing. And like a lot of people, his career started, like a lot of artists, his career started because he was a failed athlete. He once said, people ask me why I became an actor. And the truth is, is that once you get cut from the baseball team, you need another angle to get women to pay attention. So <laughs> clearly that's work. So please welcome the pride of Nashua, New Hampshire, Mike O'Malley. room existed. Thanks, Sarah. You're welcome, Mike. Uh, thanks, everybody, for coming out. Thanks for being here. We are so excited that you're here. I'm excited to be here. we love writers. Mike's a writer. I'm a writer. You're all writers, hopefully. So um, I want to ask, to start with, what do you remember the first thing that you wrote that you were proud of? Ooh. Uh, well, it's a good question, because when I was, whenever I had a composition uh, in school, I always wrote uh, the just the amount of words that I had to write. Uh, so I, I was never really, um, I was never really much of a, a writer, or wasn't really even into writing when I was in high school or as a kid. Uh, when I went to college, I took a playwriting class my junior year, and I wrote a one-act play. Uh, and at that point. Um, you know, I thought this could be something interesting. I think I, I think I identified early on that the best way to get yourself work as an actor is to write yourself apart. Um, what was so, the name of the play? Uh, Wishful Drinking. <laughs> so autobiographical. No, yeah, yeah, exactly. About a guy, girl broke up with them. He got drunk. Um, my 13-year-old daughter is here, so I'm not going to go All into right, too much detail. All right, we won't go down too many dark roads. Uh, exactly. So I want to back up a little bit and talk a little bit about how you got here, because you started as an actor before you really wrote things of note. And I know that we've got to have some guts fans yes. in the audience. Glory Who watched Nickelodeon Guts, guts out there? Anybody? Guts, come on. Back when Mike had hair. Yeah, yeah exactly. Exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, you know what's, I moved to New York, I, I went to the University of New Hampshire, and I studied acting there, and when I graduated, I moved down to New York, uh, I had, my aunt had a friend who taught at an acting school down there, it was the Meisner Technique, and it was very intense, I was not a very uh, dedicated college student in terms of really focusing on the acting work, I did some plays there, but, you know, was not really, had not really decided that I wanted to be an actor, and really after I had graduated, my aunt, who was a professional actor, said, you can come down and take some classes. I did, and then I thought, and then I started studying Meisner, and I was like, I had no idea what I was getting myself into. Um, but I loved it, and, um, and made some great friends. And then, uh, when I graduated from that, I got an agent, and I got set up for um, an audition to go up for a Nickelodeon game show. And back when I was, you know, auditioning for Nickelodeon, you know, people didn't know what Nickelodeon was. It was just this, you know, it wasn't the thing that it is now, or it certainly wasn't the thing that it became once they started doing animation. It became, you know, much, much bigger. And, uh, and I auditioned for the role of, a, of, you know, a kid's game show host. And so then I did that. And, uh, and then I did another one. And, and I had no idea, you know, it would become as, you know, 
successful as it as it was. But but the people at Nickelodeon were great. But I really really took those jobs seriously. So it was one thing I I take pride in and I think helped um, as I continue to work in show business was while I was doing that job, I took it very, very seriously. I didn't have contempt for it. I didn't have contempt and think, oh, I should be doing other better things. While I was there, I was trying to be the best big brother kind of guy that I could have been on that show, and I worked really, really hard at it. And I think what what in turn helped is that Nickelodeon, when I then wrote my first play, uh, they brought out the theater for a night, they, at the time, were doing a show, I think, at Madison Square Garden and lent me their press agent, who was like a Broadway press agent. And like they just had some meeting. Like Jerry, Jerry Laborn, who was the president of Nickelodeon, she's like, we're like Mike, you know. And, and come on down here. And this guy, this guy is like a Broadway press agent. He's like, what's this play? I'm like, it's called, it's, uh, it's called Three Years from 30. It's about a guy broke up with a girl, you know. And sent me a theme. <laughs> right, exactly. That's, that's, really, really yeah. process that, buddy. Um, and, uh, and so, but, but because of that, they bought the theater out and, and then they got us like, they got us like pick of the week in the New York Post, which, you know, yeah, it's amazing what money can do. Get your pick of the week. Um, and, uh, and so they really did help then foster that career. And then, and then, and that's, I think, something that a lot of people in this room can probably already relate to and will relate to in the future, that you are doing one thing that maybe is high profile and good for you for not having contempt for it, which is super important. But that I, helps I can't say there weren't moments. <laughs> of, no. But it helps subsidize the passion project, right? It helps subsidize the thing that you really care about, and then it helps you move to whatever the next space is, which would be the Rick. Uh, well, then, I, yeah, I think then I... You know, as a result of it. So this is just, you know, for anyone who's sitting out there. I mean, I'm I'm a perfect example of somebody. If you just write it and you support your friends and you go out and you work really, really hard on something and you put it up, that good things will happen. You know, if you take classes, if you write something that's passionate, you know, to you, if you work really hard on it. Of course, never put a play on right after the first reading because all your actor friends will be like, "Yeah, we should put this up. We should put it up." You know. Or, or go shoot that short, right? Yeah, it's ready to go. Because all the actors want is a job, right? I mean, they're just like, yeah. And and they, and all the actors, because I've been this way too, they just want to do a play where, you know, their friends and their family was like, well, you were good. And I was like, yeah, I know. I mean, it was a, you know, the play wasn't good, but I was good. You know, I had some good moments. So, um, I mean, you were good. You were good. I didn't really, didn't really like the play. You know. Um, so I think that, you know, having, you know, being in New York and having friends who were really uh, working hard on those things and then putting that, that play up really is what helped, you know, the next stage because then somebody at, um, the, the, one of the guys who, well, not one of the guys, the guy who directed that play, he had a friend at Samuel French and he gave the play to uh, them and they published it. So then when I got cast in an acting uh, on, a, on a pilot, and I came out, you know, to L.A., and I was able to sort of hand over, a, you know, something other than just here's this bound eight and a half by 11 page. You know, I was like, look at this, Samuel French, acting edition. Substance. Yeah. I have substance. <laughs> Thirteen <laughs> copies were bought all by my parents. But that is, I mean, it is something special because I think that anybody who might have watched the Dear Departed Mike O'Malley show and all two of its episodes yeah. that it lasted. We shot six. <laughs> all right. Didn't even get a burn off, <laughs> did you? 
No, no, we did not. They did not double pump us. They just canceled it after two. And so then you move on to this great success in yes, dear, but it is it is tempered somewhat. I mean, it's a great experience for you, but I don't know that necessarily anybody looking at that show would picture this career that you've had since that. Yeah, well, I think that, you know, what happened is that I, you know, at the point where I got, um, so then after I wrote that play, I wrote another play, you know, we're talking off, off Broadway, you know, two-week runs, right? That this is nothing that's any big success, but it helped me realize sort of what it is to work on something, develop something, put something up in front of an audience, and then see it to its, you know, um, end point, and then and then really sort of grow from that experience, especially the live experience, which is something I, I suggest all of you do if, if you write, to write a play, is, you know, the, the immediate feed, feedback and the work and working on writing is, it's a very, very vital thing that sometimes you don't get if you're just shooting a, a short. But um, when I came out and I did my first series, it was a, a very short run. I had the opportunity to do the Michael Malley show on NBC. And this this was back in must-see TV time when we were one of two shows picked up and we were put on... Um, anyways, it was about a guy who broke up with a girl. and uh, I was thinking, um, Really? <laughs> wow. I married a great woman, and she's the mother of my daughter who's here tonight, so I'll just keep saying that. So it all ended up good. Um, but, uh, but they, you know, so we go and make the show, and it's one of two shows picked up on NBC in 1999. It's like, it's the thing. It's, well, oh my gosh, you got to, and so I was not, this is really what I was planning on. I was really writing to write parts for myself to ultimately, you know, I always, you know, I looked up to Bill Murray and Tom Hanks and Michael Keaton, and that was the kind of acting career that I wanted. And 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 then when I got offered a sitcom, I was like, oh man, this is this is great. And why not call it after myself? Uh, and that's yeah, yeah, exactly. Hey, it worked for Seinfeld. It didn't work for me, but um, you should have just called it O'Malley. <laughs> maybe. Well, we still can make that. I, folks from Stars are here. I got a I got a pitch for that. But anyways. Um, yeah, so uh, when that failed, it was like I had failed because it's like it's not just like the show got canceled; it was like you got canceled, and then and uh, and so when I had an opportunity, then six months later to go on yesterday, I was like, I didn't, ha you know, I didn't have a movie career to go back to. I didn't have a theater career. I didn't have a, I wasn't a you know big writer. I had just written a couple pilots, so it was a, you know, I really had to. Um, kind of rethink I you know there was part of me that didn't even think I would you know even be able to get another job because then you you know it was a it was harrowing to me um even though now with enough distance from it I realize well that's just what happens every year people work really passionately on something you know there's you know there's winners and losers of the tv season <laughs> somebody wins somebody loses and and what you I think what you don't realize when when you were coming up is that you don't hear what people say, you know, you go on audition, you like, and as an actor, you, what you do to get a job is the same thing you do to not get a job. And you don't know why you're getting picked. So you go in and you're just, you know, try to be charming and try to know your lines and do your stuff. And you get the job or you don't get the job. You don't hear what they're saying about you when you leave. Well, that guy's you know, horrible or he overdid it or he looks ridiculous or how could he ever, how did we get this person's, and then you go and do a show, and then now people are writing this in the newspaper, you know? And, uh, <laughs> right, exactly. 
Like in New Hampshire, the, the Manchester Union Leader, which is the biggest paper in the state, so it's like the, you know, the newspaper, not saying the New Hampshire is big. When my show got canceled, it was above the fold, like the sh my show getting canceled. I was just like, yeah, great. So anyway, I, I, I don't know anything negative about so, Yester, by the way. Then I, then I, no, then I went and did Yester for six years, and I kept writing plays and, and, and screenplays. And, um, and then after that ended, I didn't want to go do another um, sitcom. I, I wanted to do uh, an hour-long show, and so I tried to do a couple of things. And, uh, and, and you know, a couple of shows didn't go. But I did, um, I was up for Ryan Murphy, had written a show called Pretty Handsome, and it was going to be his follow-up to uh, Nip Tuck. And so he was, you know, at the height, well, I say at the height of his powers, now he's at the height of his powers, but certainly at FX he was very, you know, accomplished, influential guy, and had written this um, story about a man who was uh, was going through a crisis of what his gender was, was starring Joe Fiennes and Carrie Ann Moss and Sarah Paulson were in it. I played Sarah Paulson's husband. And, uh, and I auditioned for it and was really excited, got it. They was like, well, we only want you to do a couple days on this. And, and you know, I at first I was like, I wanted, you know, my pride took a little bit of a hit because I thought, oh, I'm going to go be a serious regular. They're going to pay me my quote and this is going to be great. And I had a couple kids. And they said, no, we're only going to, you know, pay you as a, you know, as a guest star and see where it goes. And, you know, this is another important thing that I think it's, it's so, um, it's so important for, for me to remember and for other people to remember, and especially remember if you're just starting out, you, you go work with people who are working on quality stuff and go take jobs because the hardest thing to get is a job. And sometimes your pride can take a hit. Well, I'm not going to, you know, they're not paying me enough. And, and having gone and done that, um, it didn't go. But Brad Falchek and Ryan Murphy then offered me uh, the part on Glee, which, you know, changed, changed my life. Everything. Yeah. Which, and, and that's the thing. And the thing, just to back up, explain more about the premise about that show, because that was a very forward thinking. Show. Uh, it was about Joe Fine, who was, you know, it was going to go through a sex change. And so he thought he was a woman and, but he was a man. And I was his best friend. So that show is essentially transparent. Yeah. Well, no, I think even Ryan has gone on to say it's, it's not, um, you know, it was nothing like what Transparent is and what it's become. I think that uh, that Jill has, you know, Jill's always done an amazing job of, of really telling a story in a completely different way than, you know, she's a completely different kind of storyteller than than, uh, than Ryan. But they're both great, and Ryan was great. And so when they called me and said, do you want to play um, Bert on Glee, I first started reading the script, and I thought, oh, man, this, is, this guy is just a stereotypical, you know, intolerant dude and ryan wrote the part for you yeah specifically <laughs> and he broke up with his girlfriend and he was like no. and uh and so and then i and then i got to the end and i was like um you know i saw that there was that change but i thought he did it very deftly because it wasn't just like hey let's uh let's go to the pride parade together he was like uh, you know i love you i've known this since you were three and it you know that part is completely just about uh, the writing, um, and and what, what what I did know when I was offered just a sort of guest star on that, I was like, well, this is a show about kids in high school, and I'm playing a dad, so you know they're not going to change the dad, you know. So I'll be back. But I had no <laughs> idea it was going to turn into what it turned into, and the material that they wrote, and of course Chris Kofer, who's just amazing, and um, 
Yeah, it was really amazing. And you had no hand in that? You didn't sort of... No, no. I mean, the, those guys, they wrote... Um, they wrote all that stuff, and I just showed up and said it. And, you know, it's funny, because as an actor, you, you know, you got to say what they tell you to say. And, uh, and so when I give credit to the, the writers, it's really, it's, you know, people come up and it's like, wow, that's such a wonderful relationship. I said, I had nothing to do with that. You know, I mean, I literally just said what they wrote. I mean, I know you have to, you know, as an actor, you have to bring yourself to it, and you have to, you, have to, you know, be relaxed and be true and not add a lot on there. But it's... You know the the credit goes to them because oftentimes as the you know as an actor, um, you know you, you play a bad guy. I'm now at this st- stage in my acting career where I'm playing like the J.T. Walsh role. So like in Concussion, I'm the guy who doesn't let Will Smith buy the microscope. We can't afford that. He's like, but we're discovering a brand new. Well, that's not how Will Smith acted it, but he's like. <laughs> Can you imagine? That's an impression. Imagine if Will Smith, that's, that's, that's a good imitation of him. Uh, but it's just like, he's like, uh, Will Smith is like, well, you know, we've, we've discovered uh, this brand new thing. And I was like, we can't afford that. And then I'm, I'm going to be in this uh, Clint Eastwood movie where um, Tom Hanks plays Sully, the guy who lands the plane on, uh, on a Hudson River. Okay. I play the guy who's like uh, from the National Transportation Safety Board who's just like, you could have made it back to LaGuardia, you know? <laughs> I don't think our simulations show that you could have made it back. And, and by the way, that's exactly how I play it, you know? So but you know what I mean? So, 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 yeah, I mean, we all think of ourselves as leading men, and, uh, you know, and, and, then, and then we just got to take what they give us. But to get back just to the uh, uh, glee for a second, though, I think that you must have had people come up to you because for me, that was the most affecting storyline on that show. Yeah. And you self-deprecate about you, you played, you said what they wrote, but I mean, what you guys did was really special. And I would imagine that you have people coming up to you that may have changed their minds throughout the course of watching that show. Well, all the time. And I, and I think that that's one of the things that is, uh, really powerful about, uh, drama and about writing and and about comedy also I think it's actually the most important thing is that uh, you're able to articulate ideas about life and you're able to dramatize it and you're able to show the consequences of what happens when a character uh, behaves in a certain way or responds in a different way and you're able to kind of watch people navigate through deci- decisions and choices and and then put music behind it and slowly push the camera in and pull back and and it's very very affecting because it forces you to see uh another side of things and and you know i i, I think that look i i grew up in new hampshire but i was in the theater department at the university of new hampshire in the in the early uh 80s i moved to new york right after i graduated when you're when you live in New York, you live in Los Angeles, you work in show business, you're open in, uh, to a lot more people and experience and, and actors and writers are by nature very, um, I think, very kind-hearted people uh, who have a lot of empathy in part because they're constantly studying texts about you know all of these things that, that, that human beings go through. It, that's not the way it is everywhere. Um, and... I think that people just don't even know the road because they don't even have an exposure to it because they live in a town where it's not a it, live yeah. in town like Lima. right right and uh, but um, but I think that it's you know 
and and anyone who is I think uh, out now or and who grew up or and is my age will tell you that, that you know those big choices and those big public decisions or those choices for programming that uh, really changed their lives because it made them feel less alone. And I think that that's so important. And I think that <laughs> I think it's so interesting to me that you've chosen to write on shows that wouldn't, I mean, Survivor's Remorse being the perfect example, you think, oh, you know, a predominantly black cast, a, right. a kid from Boston, sure, yeah. but right. who goes to work in the NBA, like, yeah. a white kid from New Hampshire can totally write that show. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, what is intriguing you about that world? Because I feel like it actually has a lot of parallels to your life, even though on paper it doesn't seem like it does. Well, you know, I um so the, the way that uh, Survivor's Remorse happened was I had been uh while I was doing Glee, um I was I was then offered after the first season where I think I did 6 or 7 episodes, they are, they made me a series regular um in the second season, but I couldn't go anywhere, right? And so I had to, you know, I was only probably did 12 or 14 episodes, but it, if I was doing an episode, I was usually in the basement with, you know, Kurt crying or, uh, you know, somewhere with uh, Finn telling him off or something. But um, and so uh, my my agent, um, Joe Cohen, who's a great guy and has really fostered my uh, career, he uh connected me with people at John Wells Productions and John Wells. John Wells was developing Shameless and John uh was doing that his writer's room on that was Monday, Wednesday and Friday. He's a very very he's a great boss and he's a he's a great very very efficient showrunner. And so he was only meeting uh like 1 to 5 3 days a week. Um and uh no cell phones and everyone's just talking about the show. It's amazing how much you can get done if you just talk about one thing for 4 hours straight with six, six or seven people. And uh and so I had done some punch up on the shameless pilot and then he asked me he you know gave me a job writing on the show so I was you know a staff writer on the show for 4 years. So that was a big deal because um uh for me because I was at that point I was probably 42 when I took it. Yeah, I think it was 40 41 or 42 and um and I was really just taking a staff writing job. But what I knew was John Wells, you know, legendary showrunner, started the showrunning program here at the Writers Guild, president of the Writers Guild for a long time. And I knew that going to take that job, even though uh, I would be making a lot less money than I, than I had been, uh, I would. it was really like going to graduate school for uh, showrunning. So he was going to be in the room and I was going to be learning uh, from him, and so I, you know, I had to really make a choice to turn down other acting stuff, and and also not necessarily write anything else, um, and and just try to learn from him. And I was, you know, I was lost the first few weeks in that room. I mean, because this is, a, you know, this is a professional showrunner with other professional writers. I had just written pilots and scripts, and uh, you know, some screenplays, but I had never been in a writer's room, and here I was. You know, 42 years old. So just to stop there for one second for the people in this room that hope to be in a writer's room, yeah. you say you were lost those first few weeks. What would be your best advice of a thing not to do if you're lost in the first few weeks in the writer's room? Uh, start when you're like 21. Um, <laughs> I think we might you know, I think that off. the thing. I think that the thing that you should do now, you should be doing now, 
if you want to work in a writer's room is be cultivating stories and be putting them in a notebook about why it is a story and also to really, really narrow down why you want to write. Because I think if you don't know why you want to write, then you don't know, you can't narrow down what your point of view is, you can't argue passionately about a subject, you can't argue against a subject that somebody else is arguing about, and that's the sort of lifeblood of a show, is what the characters care about. And so you can start working on that right now. And you'll always hear from showrunners that, you know, the reason there's so many cop shows and medical shows and lawyer shows on television is because to make a television show, they're always asking where the story's going to come from. What are you driving the story through? Where's the story each week? You got your regular characters. A guy comes in with a broken leg. A lady comes in with the, you know, her skull bashed in, you know, whatever. It's a different story. And then it's, you know, it's, you know, this is the crime. This is the legal case. And so, you know, for me, I hadn't really thought in that way or even collected stories in that manner. And you have to be walking around, you know, you have to be like, uh, who's it, Trigorn? Who's the, uh, hi, Danny. Um, hi, Goldie. Uh, so um, the, Danny Klein was in my first play in New York. I can't believe she's here right now. Danny, say hello. Goldie taught my daughter how to swim. <laughs> All right, anyways. Um, so, but but really, be you know, I think it's the uh, the, the 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 writer in um, um, the seagull. What's his name? Yeah, he has a notebook, and he walks around. You got to be that person. You got to be that person with the notebook, where every single you know line of dialogue that comes to you, a line of dialogue is like a little bird that comes and sits on your shoulder. You better write it down because it's it's flying away. And so you go on a hike, have a, have a card in your pocket. I mean, that that you know the I've always done that where I've collected lines of dialogue, but I wasn't always thinking about stories as it relates to everyone else, because a lot of the stories that I was writing about was usually about a guy kind of trying to look for the right way to live. Broke up his girlfriend. Yeah, with his girlfriend. And blah, 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 blah. But, you know, but, and, and so that's the thing that uh, you need. You have to be inexhaustible. You have to be, you have to be able to articulate um, what your ideas are. I'll tell you, it's, um, you know, I, I've sort of narrowed down for myself something that I tell the writers on Survivor's Remorse uh, is that if you can really think about um, human behavior in the sense of what, what do you do? What are the mistakes that you make in your life? What are the, you know, if you really think about the seven deadly sins, right, and think of all the other, you know, things that are not necessarily deadly but then are really bad things that you can do or things that... I think that for me is is when you start having useful stories because we in our lives um you know we can we can handle hardship we can handle things that are done to us we can handle misfortune um I think the hardest thing to handle as as people sometimes is when we mess our own lives up okay we say something stupid we do something stupid we say something unkind. we punch the money right 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 you know and so really it's it's how I constructed you know survivors remorse is like you know because that's universal right everyone can relate to doing or saying or you know regretting something and 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 you know, struggling to try to figure that out. So, you know, in a long-winded way to getting to your answer, 
is I think the reason that I thought I could write for Survivor's Remorse because I, I thought I know what it's like to be in a family. I know what it's like to be a, a brother, a cousin, an uncle, a son. Um, my family's important to me. And I know what it's like to move from another place and pursue a career and, and you know, struggle in that pursuit and then try to navigate my way through that. And be successful and have some of the, the, the consequence of success, too. I mean, your trajectory was not as fast as Kansas, but certainly at a certain point, you must have experienced some of the things that he experiences on the show of people coming to him and saying, oh, you've made the big time now. Where's my part of it? Well, yeah, I mean, I, but I think that there's, you know, the, and that's an interesting thing about the show is that I feel, you know, I feel where I grew up in, in New Hampshire, or I feel that my theater professors, look, you know, my theater professors at the University of New Hampshire, my acting, you know, a teacher, Laura Henry, who was an amazing acting teacher, she was just, she, you know, she, they did their job, she did their job, they encourage me, they encourage people who aren't acting anymore, they love doing that, they love being teachers, and yes, I feel um, indebted to them for, you know, the care and the thought and the time that they put into uh, my career, and, you know, I've I've tried to, you know, pay them back and start muffin some scholarships. And, no, I mean, the muffin <laughs> baskets, no, nobody wants a muffin basket for me. But I want to talk now because we are we're doing good, Mike. We're killing it. We're just talking and talking and talking. Sorry, am we talking too much? <laughs> we do. But I I forgot we have clips that we're. Oh supposed God, to show. I'm sorry. So um, <laughs> so I want to talk about voice because I think this is really interesting and a really strong thing on both Shameless and um, Survivor's Remorse that you have this great these great casts. And I think that on there are some TV shows on right now that are good shows, but you feel like all the characters talk exactly the same. You know what I mean? Like there's this one person writing the show, and it's interesting dialogue. And but everybody has the same sort of cadence, and they could. It's like Woody Allen movies. Like everybody talks like Woody Allen kind of thing. And I think that on this show, it's you could read the lines of the person talking and not know who it was and identify it by the line of it, that the characters have really distinct voice. And so I want to show a clip. Let's show a clip. Oh, well, step um, back and see a clip. I, I Let's see if Sarah's telling the truth. <laughs> I believe the clip is the grown-ass man clip. Contractual obligation. I got three words for you, grown-ass man. That's two words, baby. Grown-ass is hyphenated. Bad form to blow off your owner. Amen. He called me over with two fingers like I was at Lawn Darkie that Missy smashed. Jockey, not Darkie. He's not my owner. Dogs have owners, okay? He owns a team. And your contract, which requires you to appear at 25 events per calendar year. This we agreed to. Because I agreed to something doesn't mean that he can make me do other things at those things. My contract does not say stay to the end. I appeared, and then I disappeared. No, you snubbed him. If you had just disappeared, that would have been kind of cool. Yeah, it would have been a dope find. I really like that Houdini shit. <laughs> I believe Miss Ash is also. Yeah, Erica Ash is here. Where is she? Where is she? Houdini shit. M. Chuck. M. Chuck. Breakout character, M. Chuck. Um, but I think that clip actually illustrates what I'm talking about. I mean, in some of it's the actors, but a lot of it is the writing. Well, that uh, there's a different cadence to each person's. Timing. Yeah, I mean, a lot of it is, I have to say, a lot of it is the actors. A lot of it is, um, you know, once, this is a wonderful thing about working on a TV show is that once you cast the pilot, and so we did the pilot, that was the opening episode of the second season. It wasn't even a pilot because Stars uh, was awesome. They they shot six episodes. 
but uh, we had a little bit of a break after the first one. And when you really, you know, you start to think about the characters in terms of the actors, and one of the things I just think is so awesome about writing for television, you start to think about them as you're writing for them, and you try to write to their strengths, which ends up being your strength. Um, but, you know, the, you know, the... This show is is I'm not the only one who writes the scripts. We have an amazing staff of writers, you know, every season who writes these scripts too. And there, you know, they are all pitching in. And if the cast doesn't think something fits, they say, "Hey, you know," because I, I would be writing still like if I was writing for some 23 year old, I'd be like, "I'd really psyched to go out with you tonight." And people would be like, "Well, I don't, no one says psyched anymore." Okay, <laughs> and so. Uh, I, I think that, you know, that, that my job is really thinking about, like, what are people going through? Uh, what do they care about? How are they getting in their own way? And trying to construct stories about that. And then really taking everyone else's input and molding that into something that's that's uh, palatable. But, you know, we, we do, we go through this all the time. And I, and I, I have to give credit to, um, uh, to Pat McDonald, who's... Uh, our development executive on this show and, and Carmi Zlotnick and, and also Ken Segna, they're all from stars. They, they, you know, really read these scripts with a fine tooth comb. And there's been times where, especially in the, in the first season, the second season, they said, it doesn't sound like Missy. You know, she's swearing a little bit too much and, you know, it's, I swear too much, but, um, you know, they helped, in particular shape that one when you're writing for uncle julius you can write whatever you want mike epps you know he adds so much to uh, the character and he adds his own spin on it and, and you know half of his lines he comes up with just on the day so um i can't even talk about the mike up situation yeah, yeah. i yeah. did him dirty yeah but anyway, Sorry. yeah, no, it's yeah. very upsetting. Um, but anyway, um, talk about the writer's room, because I would imagine that this is a diverse writer's room, that yes. um, that, that was important to you. Yeah, it was, because, you know, I, I know, um, you know, like I said, I, I do know what it's like to be in a family and, and all of that, but I, I also, I know what I don't know, which is, uh, I don't know what it's like to be a basketball player. I don't know what it's like to um, be young and uh from boston and black and a talented athlete you know i can you know i can imagine and i you know i i do think that there's there's something to um there's there's something to the imagination that people don't give enough credit to right that 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 the part of of writing is is putting yourself in other people's shoes and using your creative mind and working with other people and really letting your imagination run wild like there's there's ways to be authentic obviously where you need to sort of catch and we have you know all of the basketball stuff it's run through LeBron James and Maverick Carter you know obviously you know not LeBron's not reading a script tonight uh but um <laughs> But you know, you know, but we talk to him about the business stories, and Maverick certainly knows everything and and uh, about that. And so, you know, the process of of going through and finding those stories, we I'm looking for stories. So, like the Tracy Oliver, who was on our staff the first two seasons, I didn't even know like when. <laughs> of course, why would I know this? Um, but like, I did not know that most 
black women their hair on television is not their hair. Okay, thank you. Well, I know nothing about hair, and I haven't known anything about hair for about thirty years. Okay, so I wouldn't even know how to style a you know a fifty-year-old guy with hair. Hair. Okay, just no shave your head. Okay, but I did not know that, and and we and so when we started to talk about even getting uh, the actors, the actresses, hair, and like, well, they need wigs, and it's like, I'm like, what are you talking about? They need wigs. And like, we need wigs, and the hairdresser, it's really important. It takes a lot of time. You get this and that. When a, when a woman moves to a new town, the most important thing she finds is, is who's going to do her hair, all of this stuff. Like, I didn't know anything about that. And so when they started talking about that, this is so great because it's, uh, and, and Erica Ash, you know, she had a lot to do with why we're doing, you know, that storyline too. And, and so we would have the actors come in and we just talk to them about, um, you know, what's going on in your life and what are, this, what are some taboo subjects that, you know, you don't see on television that you think because, you know, we're on stars and we're on a premium cable network and we can uh, talk about things that you can't talk about on broadcast or on commercial television. What can we talk about? And all of that, you know, that comes, that doesn't just come from me. It comes from the writers. It comes from the actors. It comes from people having ideas and us trying to, you know, speak about that. And was there anything, though? Because you guys go there. I mean, you're talking race, class, sexuality. I mean, things that people that are very much in the news in different ways. And was, was there ever a storyline where you were like, mm, I'm not so sure about this right well, now? Well, you know what's funny is that um, is uh, one, of the, one of our episodes, uh, I don't know, I'd have to ask Pat, um, what's, what's the, have we, I don't think we've come up against anything that we said, no, we can't do that yet. That's Pat McDonald from Stars, everybody. He's the reason the show's on the air. Yeah, <laughs> right there, right there. <laughs> yeah. Oh. I mean, yeah. we haven't seen yet. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, we have a, we had an episode this year which is about um, FGM, uh, female genital mutilation. The the issue is, people, you know, you see all this stuff on television. Go do ancestry dot com. Go get your uh, go get your you know DNA tested and find out what your roots were. And Cassie does this, and she finds out. And she finds out she's from an area in Africa, and she tries to befriend some folks who are from this area, and they end up, you know, <laughs> wanting to have uh, an event at her house. Um, so, I mean, that that's a storyline that just sort of came up with, uh, you know, what happens? You're just kicking around the writer's room. And it's just like, what's what's a Pandora's box? Like, what what is? And also, but a lot of our stories do come from what can we do on this show that you can't do anywhere else, without a doubt. Because I do think that there's an appetite for um, real conversation about things uh, in, you know, uh, fake people's mouths that you're not able to have because of the consequences of, you know, I mean, you make one comment and, uh, you know, you just get, you know, lit up. And so we wanted to talk about that. What I want to know from a writing standpoint is, I mean, you've got death. And you've mm-hmm. got um, <laughs> Cassie talking about whooping, and you, yeah. you've got a lot. Well, that's I mean, like, a, that's a very you... interesting thing. So, so when I was uh, looking up a lot of um, and reading a lot of different writers to to get the writers ready for uh, to hire writers for the second season, um, in a lot of scripts for uh, young black writers, um, the term whooping kept coming up over and over again, and uh, and so I said. 
I think I know what this means, but what does it mean? And, and <laughs> one guy, Raphael Jackson, is so hilarious. He's like, it just means spanking. I'm like, oh, it means spanking. So just like, you know, you get hit with a hand. He's like, no, with like a cord or a belt or a ra- I'm like, that's not spanking. Please switch. I was like, that's, that's, that's beating. And then we had this big discussion. We went around the room, and I think every single person in the room had been um, – now, I was only spanked uh, with a hand, but, you know, uh, Jewish-American guy had been hit with a, you know, spoon. Um, another Jewish-American guy had been hit with a belt. You know, black woman, black man, you know, these guys, you know, hit with belts, hit with cords. And and you could see even in the discussion where, where people say, hey, guys, that that's that's abuse. That's bad. Well, no, it turned me into the man I am. Now, you're in a writer's room. And people are defending their parents because they like how they turned out. And so I thought, oh, now you have people arguing about something. And so that, again, is like when, when, you know, that's what's so fun about being a writer is that when you have stuff to argue about, when you have stuff that you really care about, when you find your friends, you know, arguing about something, if you can figure out a way to balance that out and make a show about it, that's really, really fun, right? It's really fun. And so we knew, okay, how do we do this where... We put um, Cam's mother on a red carpet. She's so, she's, you know, grew up poor. She finally has a dress on. She's going on a red carpet. She's being asked if, uh, you know, Cam is, uh, has always been a great guy. And she's like, no, he was a pain in the ass when he was a kid. I used to whoop his ass. Oh, no, I beat the hell out of him. And then all of a sudden it becomes this big scandal. And they realize they're in a different place. And so that really came from, again, writers just talking about ideas. You just bring in a topic you start arguing about it, and John Wells would do this on Shameless. He'd let writers argue for 10 and 15 minutes, and he'd just let them go back and forth. He's like, this is something. If you guys are arguing about this this much, then we got to figure out a story and put it on the board and find something. And so, you know, I think that one of the things I didn't know when I was younger that I wish I knew is that if, if you can argue, you can be a writer. I mean, I really mean this. It's like if you, like, just if anyone in this room wants to write, just go home and write an argument, and now you're a writer. Don't and start never, an argument. No, don't. Write, write an argument. But don't ever, don't apologize for it. Don't be like, eh, I'm, I'm trying to finish something. And I was like, yeah, I'm a writer. Yeah, that's what I wrote. I wrote this argument. <laughs> I mean it, man. That's what it is. If you can write an argument, take out all the questions. You can start with a question. Where were you last night? Um, you know, but and then he broke up with his girlfriend. Right, exactly. Know. Right, <laughs> right, right. Yeah. But I'm. But the 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 thing about it that it is to me that's so impressive is you took something that like domestic violence, which is not hilarious, mm-hmm. and you managed to frame it in the way that it's funny in the show because of the way they're treating it in the show. Not that domestic violence is funny, but the, their reaction to... And this is our setup for our second clip. You punched the money. Is it? Oh, yes. oh this is from... Oh, yeah. So this was a... Yeah. Okay. okay. We did it. This doesn't piss you off? I can afford it. <laughs> Girl, crazy. Guess I'm alone then, huh? Okay, no problem. Here's what I think of your mindfulness. Oh, oh. It was unfortunate that one was open. What the fuck is all this cursing about? I'm trying to relax. That's your daughter. She's mad at soda tax. Well, you throw like a girl. And you duck like a bitch. Oh! 
She throw pretty good. She almost picked you off. Look, I ain't looking for a daddy, so stop acting like one, you hot hat smug fucky. So are you gonna do something? Oh, I'll do something. Oh, please do something. Do you want me to do something? I'm saying don't sit here and talk about doing something. Oh. Step the fuck up and do something. Oh my god! What the fuck? Oh shit. God, my god, my oh. baby! Let's get him up. Lean him up. Lean him up. Lean him up. Lean him up. Uh, oh, uh, baby, uh, are you okay? Um, no. How many fingers am I holding up? Three, Ma. Baby, your eyes are closed. Ma, you always hold up three fingers. Okay, how many fingers am I holding up now? Ma, please. Oh. Who the fuck exercises wearing a big-ass ring? Mafioso. I am sorry. You I punched the money. Oh, thanks, Ma. Baby, I'm sorry. You know what I mean. Man, you know we what gotta I mean. get Cam to the hospital. Last time I seen an eye like that, it was in my hand. Okay, no hospitals. We gotta keep this as private as possible. Like mafioso. I'm gonna call the team doctor. You two best get your story straight. Uh, so, yeah, one of the things that we were thinking about was, uh, you know, that came out of, uh, let's do a story about anger. How does anger, you know, anger is such a, a, a vital emotion. I shouldn't say vital. It's such a... Um, it's such a useless emotion, and we all have it, and it's sort of bred into us because probably there were times where we had to always fight, you know, people who were attacking us. It's it's in our DNA, and yet it's so the cause of so much trouble in people's lives. Um, their emotional reaction to things when they get angry, it's useless. It's really, um, it's it's almost, it's probably the most useless emotion in sort of the civilized world, and um, and yet we all do it. And I, I, you know, still get angry. I, I and I, I try not to, but I mean, so I wanted to talk about anger, and then that's where because M. Chuck was a very angry character, and she has a lot to be angry about, um, but we tried to then tie that into a story and how her own behavior, uh, where it came to where we were talking about domestic violence is what happens in this story is she punches him. It's fine, but the, the, it's also a story about greed. You don't see him. The butler who's in there wants a raise. Reggie doesn't want to give him a raise. The manager, he takes the security tape of this video and sells it. And, and, so now that this thing is public and domestic violence is an issue, you know, then M. Chuck has to answer, well, is this something that, you know, or even though, and, and they go through the episode where Cam was like, look, I was asking for it. You know what I mean? It's like, there's no asking for it. There's no such thing as asking for it. Right? This is the episode with your sister, right? Yes. Okay, my like sister, that. Carrie, plays the, uh, the NPR, uh, the, she plays the NPR, well, not the NPR, the public radio, um, interviewer who shames the yeah. hell out of Well, she's just like, is it hard to be a man who's been hit by a woman? And he's, um, <laughs> he's, you know, but, but, but they close ranks, uh, Cam and M. Chuck by saying like, look, this is a, this is a family thing, you know, and there's a great scene where Tamara Tooney plays the, uh, DA and, um, and, you know, they say, um, and Cassie says, it's like, it's not domestic violence. It's just, it's just people punching in the house, you know? <laughs> It's like if you're going to go after every brother and sister who've been, you know, beating up each other, you're going you're gonna to be one tired, you know, person. You know, she doesn't say person, but. Um. I just think it's, it's so interesting. And did that come out of 
a conversation about that? Yeah, well, everything it just, come I, out of a conversation, or some things just pop in? Well, sometimes they do, and sometimes I mean, I I think that um, I think that again, a lot of it comes out of language, and so like if the whooping thing season two, you know, this this phrase "grown ass man" was another phrase that "grown ass man." I'm a grown ass man. I'm a grown ass man. This is a phrase that you just hear thrown around all the time, and um, and so. That was the first episode of last season where the the owner of the team, Jimmy Flaherty, calls Cam over. He's like, "Hey, come over here," and uh, and Cam is like, "I'm a he's not going to call me over with two fingers. I'm a grown ass man." And they get into this big argument of what this means and what grown ass man means. And at the end, you know, Jimmy Jimmy Flaherty, the owner, is just like, "This this means come over here. That this where I'm from. This means come here. This is." This is this is I got some good shit for you. This is where the good shit starts, right? And the guy's like, nobody, you know. And Cam is like, I'm a man. You don't wave me over like this. You don't nod across the way. You don't wave me over. You don't point. And so that's a that's a thing again. It's about um, yeah. So I, I mean, about a power dynamic. Or you're constantly like, all you have to do is read the newspaper or read these stupid things that people say, and you have an episode. It's just getting yourself to think about, you know. If you have this vessel for these characters and you know what you want to write about, you have a world that you want to write about, anybody out there who wants to create a show, start thinking about character and world. That's the most important thing. That's what networks are buying. That's what they want. What is this world about? What, is this, what do these characters want? What is coming up against them? What are they fighting for? How are they fighting to be good? Or how are they f- fighting to convince themselves they are still good? Um, and how real are they? I mean, I think that's yeah. one of the things about Shameless and Survivor's Remorse that people respond to is that even if there's a heightened sense of absurdity or comedy to both of those things, to some of the profanity to a lot of the sex, but right. that the conversations, you can picture them actually happening in real life. And I feel like that's a thing that people are responding to, realness. Yeah. And I look, I, I mean, I, I will say that, you know, there's even more profanity in this sort of casual everyday life of people. They just don't realize. I mean, we, we, you know, when we would do Shameless, we're just writing through. And then at one point, we just have to do a profanity pass. And I wrote an episode of Shameless with the F word only twice. I don't even think there's, that's it. That's a miracle to be able to write that show like that. Because people, you know... Uh, we said it more than twice out there. Yeah, we live in a we live in a crass, vulgar world. It's not necessarily good, but that's just how people communicate now. And you know? I want to ask a couple just little niggling questions that I personally have. Why is M. Chuck the only character that has a Boston accent? Well, we talk about that this year. But M. Chuck did not go to college. Um, Cam went to University of New Hampshire. Uh, Reggie went to college also. Missy's from there. And so she's from, she stayed in Dorchester. She, we, we haven't established that she dropped out of high school and that she finished around, you know, maybe um, 10th or 11th grade. Is her, but she's, you know, she's a local girl. She didn't have to. You know, Cam, once he was at University of New Hampshire, was up there, was exposed to people going to a lot of different camps. He, he became a little bit more refined in how he talked. And uh, in terms of never seeing Cam play, yes, that clearly is a choice that you made at the outset. Yeah, I just—it's never on the basketball well, court. I just think that there's, you know, it's like when a when a really good actor uh, lip syncs because they're not amazing singers. It's, you know, some actors are not the best singers, and and some singers are not the best actors, which is why they probably don't get a lot of parts. But I don't want to write a show about something that you can see every night on ESPN, 
You know, I also don't think there's a lot of stories there for me that I'm interested in telling. Um, hey, look at, uh, you know, he, did he hit the game-winning shot? Did he miss the game-winning shot? We're also, we're a very small show. You know, we're a show that, you know, we don't have a, you know, massive budget. We, it's a show where we have six series right regulars that we have to we have to uh, you know many mouths to feed on those episodes and if you're going to shoot basketball scenes you have to shoot them in an arena you have to cast the whole team you have to get all these other players who can be on the team and i'm not writing stories for the you know the other shooting guard it's a show about a family and so you also just you know uh, other than any given sunday it's like i can't think about a, a sports movie that i saw where i wasn't just so aware that I was watching. Actors and yeah, and just it's just. Did he hit the shot? He missed the shot. <laughs> you know, did his teammate pass to him? I mean, it's just. Please start talking about all the great on-court action we could see. And, you know, and then you're just like, he doesn't look like LeBron James. It's like. Now, but speaking of LeBron James, yes. he showed up this season, as did Mr. Werner. Yes. And uh, I'm wondering why you haven't been on the show yet. When are you um, a character for yourself? I, uh, <laughs> no, no I've, I've, got my, I've got my work cut out for me. I'm, I'm happy to share the, uh, I'm, I'm happy to just be a writer on this show. And then before we throw to the audience one last question, there, Tom Werner is in an episode where you have him standing. In the middle of the baseball field yes. at Fenway Park. Isn't that amazing? For no reason at all. Yeah. Well, <laughs> was that know. just because you could get access to Fenway Park? Part of it was, it? yeah. Because I was so, watching it, and I'm so like, Tom oh, Warner is, yeah, is the reason I'm doing the show. Tom Warner and Maverick Carter. Um, and, uh, and so we, yeah, we wanted to, you know, again, you're, you're, you're just making, a, you're making your show, and you're trying to get as much bang for your buck as you can. And we were trying to show that Reggie, who's Cam's cousin and manager, is expanding his universe. And we, we had this, um, this episode where he plays poker, is invited to play poker and wins against LeBron and Tom Warner and, and An Jimmy Flaherty. Guts, yes, exactly. Uh, you know, uh, a bunch of millionaires. And he, um, and, and so we had an opportunity to go up to Fenway Park on en route to shooting that in Akron because we shot that all in Akron, Ohio, after LeBron was done with the finals last year. And uh, and so, yeah, I'm a big Red Sox fan, so we're like, yeah, let's go shoot at Fenway. And, and Stars said, if you guys can make it work, make it work. And then Tom got us all that access. So it was, it was great because any time that you can add that kind of um, authenticity to the world and make it seem like Reggie is really – you know, somebody who's in contact or a player in this way, it also just opens up, you know, you know, locations. It's so much television is, is being shot. Anything that looks unique or somewhere cool is, is something that just pops on the screen. And it's symbolic because his world is opening up right. as big as See that? I like that, Sarah. Good work. Nice job. And and then finally for me, um, so acting, anything acting coming up? Or are you consumed with Survivor's Remorse? No, pretty much just uh, Survivor's Remorse. And then I I, um, I did do that um, uh, Clint Eastwood movie. Uh, I did do that Clint Eastwood. I did, this, I did a Clint Eastwood. I did a Clint Eastwood movie. No, I did a Clint Eastwood movie with Tom Hanks. Yeah, it was amazing. Yeah, he's... I mean that guy's just unbelievable. Yeah, he just said, uh, "This is this is Clint Eastwood directing." He's just like uh, everyone, everyone. Uh, instead of people you're like sound rolls, here we go, everybody, action! You just see fingers going on like this, and this is all the AD and all the assistant ADs, and that means you're rolling. And then uh, Clint goes, 
and go. seconds after you finish the scene you can and stop <laughs> and I'm, I swear to God and uh, and he just alright okay let's try that again let's go alright then go alright and he moves around I mean it's just uh, real actors uh, real actors director but yeah I did um, I did that and that's coming out in September but um just really been focused on, uh, you know, focused on on doing the show and and really happy doing it. It's a very incredibly immersive experience and something that um, I miss the camaraderie of uh, acting because it feels like you're on a team and and you know you kind of you know you go and you play the game and at the end of the day you kind of know the work that you've done. You know, there's only you know so many variations of the work that you can do and you're like, wow, this is a uh, you know, we did. We had a great day today, and now I can go home or I go get a bite to eat. Whereas with the writing, it just it just never stops. <laughs> All right, who has got a question? Please raise your hand. I think somebody is bringing you a microphone. The lovely lady in the front in blue. Thank you both for this. This masterclass, just like Survivor's Remorse itself, has been absolutely fucking fantastic. Thank you. So my question is a follow-up to something you mentioned about Maverick Carter being part of the reason why this show exists. Could you talk a little bit more about the pitch process and how this show ended yeah, up on Stars? 100%. Uh, well, I can't... Carmi should come up and answer this question because I was... Uh, so I, when I was writing on Stars, Tom Werner... Uh, so Tom Werner, of course, Cosby Show, Roseanne, That 70s Show, Third Rock from the Sun made so much great television he now owns the Boston Red Sox or as one of the owners of the Red Sox um, I he was d doing uh, TV at uh, at Warner Brothers and I wrote a pilot I had a great experience with him he um, as part of the Boston Red Sox they had bought the marketing company that LeBron James started with three of his friends and what those three friends I, I, I'm not too educated on this, but basically, they would go make marketing deals for LeBron for for different pro, um, products, and uh, and that was their company. And uh, they that company was bought by Fenway Sports Group, which was Tom Warner, and you know, as as the Red Sox were just one component of it, they ended up you know buying a race car team, and and Fenway Sports Group bought uh, a Liverpool Soccer, I believe, um, and so. Uh, Tom is Tom still his love even though he has all this involvement with the sports franchises is making television and he still has this um, this joy and this uh, gift for working with people and um, and he talked to Maverick he had seen a LeBron James commercial where LeBron is with his buddy sort of going around it's a Samsung commercial where he's going around his day and he's like wow that really seems fun how LeBron's with his friends and what is it like and he went to talk to Maverick so Maverick went to high school with LeBron and played played basketball with him and one of his closest friends and his business manager and um his manager and um he uh he said you know I don't I don't think uh, we have a show that's about this, but I want to talk about um, this notion that I've 
uh, encountered, which is uh, a phrase people have used, survivor's remorse. So they grew up poor uh, in Akron, Ohio, and they heard about this thing, survivor's remorse, where, you know, people, you know, uh, there's a shipwreck. Some people get off the Titanic. Most die. And, and the people who got off wonder, why were they the ones who lived? The difference is, in that scenario, the people who are on the ship, they've died. They've gone. And when you come from a place where you have tremendous amount of success and you leave that place and you're, I mean, these guys now, I mean, they're, you know, they just signed a deal with Nike that's worth a billion dollars, like a billion dollars. And, and so, and they could tell you every step that they took and all of the things that they did to work hard to do those things. Um, but they have a tremendous amount of people that they love and they care for who are still back where they came from, who one phone call for rent money, for insurance money, for an opportunity, for a scholarship, for a car, for, you know, life-changing stuff. And so that came from um, Maverick. So I believe that they had that idea. They... They came, I don't know how many writers they met with because they didn't really talk about their process, but I met with Tom, um, and at the time I was acting on a show. I had just done a pilot for um, NBC that ended up going to series, uh, also lasted only two episodes, which is why I'm, I'm mostly just writing now. But um, it's Welcome called, to the family. Yes, thank, thank you. Thank you. It was about a guy who was with a wife, and they didn't break up. But anyways, um, and, uh, but... This is how cool the the guys at Stars were because I they so they bought, I wasn't even in the room. Where's Carmi Zlotnick? Is he here? He left. Okay. So so Chris Albrecht, who oh Carmi, what there's the president of Stars, Carmi Zlotnick. Say hello, Carmi. He's the whole reason Survivors Remorse is on the air here. So Carmi, well let me just ask you though. Wait, but but I um. I was in the room when when they sold the show to you guys. Was I already the writer? No. Okay. <laughs> so basically, they, uh, as they should have, Carmine and Chris Albrecht uh, at at Stars, they were like, "Oh, let's do a deal with uh, LeBron James and Maverick Carter and Tom Warner and Paul Walker. Why would we do that? Sounds great." Then that so they just get the idea set up, or maybe it was even a blind deal. And um, and then they hired me as a writer. I wasn't even there when they sold it. And uh, and then as time went on, I just wasn't getting anything together. I finally went to lunch with these guys. And they're like, hey, it's on our development slate. Like, what? Are you going to come out? I was like, I got it. I got it. And I was trying I was like trying to write an outline while I'm starring in Welcome to the Family. And they're launching it. And when you launch a broadcast network sitcom, like, Still, there's nothing that compares to it. Not not any. Uh, it is an onslaught. You are talking to affiliates. You are going all around the country. You are doing promos. You. It is unbelievable the amount of work that you have to do for something that they end up canceling after two episodes. It's unbelievable. So you're just working night and day, and 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 you're waking up. You know, this is one of the things I don't miss about being an actor. You're waking up at like five o'clock, and you're going. I don't take a lot of time in makeup. I want to tell you a funny story here. Actually, I'm gonna I'm gonna do a sidebar for a second. This is a glee. This is a glee. Maybe some of you guys have heard me tell a story before, but I'm gonna tell it anyways. So on Glee second season, I have a heart attack, and this is what's horrible about um, being a character on a show where they will kill people off. You just read in the end, you say, "Am I dying?" And when I so Bert has a heart attack, 
And again, I was like, oh man, this is a great character. Like I'm in the sweet spot. I only have to work every, you know, once in a while. And, and I get to see my family and I get to write on Shameless. I, I, I could do this for years. And, um, I go and I go to the makeup chair and, uh, and I'm going to be sitting in, I'm going to be laying in a, you know, like, uh, intensive care tubes going into me. Um, Leah Michelle <laughs> ends up singing some song from Fiddle on the Roof, I think. <laughs> Kissing my like, shaved, sickly head. It was like one of the greatest moments of my acting career while she sings. And as I'm, I go to the makeup chair and I, and I sit down and, uh, and I'm like, um, they, they, they just look at me and they're like, all right, you're good. And I'm like, what are you talking about? All right, I'm good. They're like, you know, they have to make my eyes look yellow and put like yellow and make me look like it's like, no, the lights will do that. And I'm like, oh my God. And it's a true story. I go up. They're just like, no, you and life under these lights look like you've just had a heart attack. <laughs> and I was like, I went on a cleanse right after that, man. But, um, yeah, that's a true story. Yeah, you're good. Head on up. You look like hell. So when you see it, just know that I have no makeup on. I just, yeah, it's just the lights and you're just natural pallor sickly pallor um but uh so then so i was doing welcome to the family and they and they were very patient with me and then what happened was true story um giant red sox fan and the red sox were going on this run uh for the world series and i wanted tom's tickets and so i knew i had to get a draft done uh and so welcome to the family got canceled and then, like, from, like, the time it got canceled up until, like, game six of the World Series, I finished a draft. Uh, and then and then Stars picked it up in November, right before Thanksgiving. So it was really great. And, you know, that's another thing that, you know, really as writers is, like, I, I, I made a mistake uh, in retrospect that, that I would encourage you not to make, which is I worked for a really, really long time on a screenplay that I thought was my you know, opus. Like, I wanted this thing to be an Academy Award-winning screenplay. You can watch the movie. It's on Amazon, I believe. It's called Certainty. It was based on a play that I wrote. But I spent a lot of time writing and rewriting and trying to make that great. And I think it's so important to finish something, to set a deadline, to put it in a drawer and start something else and get something else going. You really have to do it. If you're going to be writers, you just have to write, write, write. Think of an idea. Finish it. Get it done. Set a deadline. Get that done. You know, when, it, when I was writing on Shameless and I was doing this other work and I was trying to finish, I, I literally, I, I suggest you all do this too. Get an hourglass, old-fashioned hourglass, like a one-hour hourglass. You'd be amazed if you get an hourglass and you put it on your desk and you do not text, you do not answer an email, you do not surf the web, you do not take a phone call, you don't get up, you don't read something. If you sit there for an hour and you do that, and you do that seven days a week, you will have material. You will have volumes of material. And, um, and it's imperative that you do that. Um, so anyway, so that, that the process for me was then I knew that Maverick wanted to do this story about what it feels like to um, be, um, you know, have this notion, and but I didn't want to set it in o in Ohio. I didn't I didn't know a lot about 
I knew who LeBron, LeBron James was, but I didn't know a lot about him. Didn't read anything about him. Didn't go and read old interviews. Didn't. I wanted. I wanted to try to create a show that I could say I didn't. I didn't know anything about. Um, didn't take any elements from his life, and I wanted these guys to be able to say we influenced the development of this, but this is not a, a biography. And then. Um, and then I worked with Maverick uh, and, and Pat and Carmi and Tom, and they really helped shape what it was about. Um, you know, in the, in the process, I think uh, M. Chuck originally was, was going to be a brother, and, um, and we just thought, no, this is going to be great if, if it was like an older sister who really taught him to play basketball. Um, oh, you know, the uncle part was important. Um, originally, the owner was going to be a Chinese guy, um, but we changed that to uh, to Jimmy Flaherty because I wanted to get an actor like Chris Bauer, who's a friend of mine. I I wanted to ask him so to do that. So good on the show, and that and that's the big thing is that we have unbelievable actors on the show, and that's the biggest thing. Like if you get dedicated actors who love their craft and work really hard and learn their lines, you can write them anything. And that's one of the ways. It's funny because I. You know, Ron Rico Lee, who plays Reggie, who's just a tremendous actor, you know, at one point he's like, man, you get, you know, why so many monologues? And uh, and I said because to him, and I showed them the scene from Glee where uh, that, you know, was probably my favorite acting moment I ever had. And it was a very long monologue in the basement where I was defending my son. And I said, you, you see this thing right here? I've had one of these moments in 25 years of being an actor. And I wish somebody was writing this material for me every week. That's not to say it's easy to do, but that's why I'm doing it. So really I'm still writing, you know, I write, I tell all the people who come and work on the show, the directors and the editors, and is that I look at this show as an actor first. And so I think about, you know, do I believe the acting? Like, I would, I, I would always be like, why is the, you know, why is the camera going up in the air? Like, who's on a hot air balloon? It's like, the, the, there's acting going on right here. Or like, even like, when I see some moves, like, I was, I was acting my ass off over there, and they're cutting pieces and pieces, and how about that shot? And I'm like, well, how about this face? Put it on here. You know, two eyes, tremendous point of view, incredible, incredible timing. What more do you need? You need nothing more than this. And so that's how I approach the show. So it's, uh, I think it's an actor's TV show. And, and, and thankfully, we have actors who, they're just so alive and real and do such great work that the stuff comes alive and you're really able to watch people. So. And in the interest of time, let's move to another question. Sorry. Oh, my God. It's like 20 minutes on one question. I, guys, I'll stay here all night, man. You guys pay. I'm gonna be like Springsteen, like you just like call out for an encore. I'll play for three hours. Let's go. Down no, let's keep going. I'm fine. Let's go. We're gonna crack this acting thing, crack this directing thing, crack this writing thing. We're gonna figure this shit out. We're all gonna have jobs by the time we leave here. Let's go, everybody. Shut the door. Oh wait. Bring Carmi up here. Let's have a wild pitch session. Let's go. Stars getting bigger as we grow. Here we go. All right. We have a question. <laughs> yes. Um, my question for you, and thank you so much. This is amazing. My question for you is, do you have any tips on pitching besides keep it short? Yes. Um, no, a lot, of what, a lot of what pitching is about is, again, the world and, and knowing that it's, um, 
that's something interesting. So you have to have, you have to know what your point of view is that you want to write about. And, and that has to be clear. You have to be passionate about it. You got to know what the world is and where the stories are. Now, I was, I was obviously benefited by the fact that I had LeBron and Tom and Maverick who could say, hey, guys, this is a authentic behind-the-scenes look at the sports world and what it's like to be a professional athlete. So even like the, that episode where she uh, and Chuck punches Cam in the, in the face, what that came from is a real story from a professional athlete who was um, spo- sponsored by Coke. He had a Coke uh, machine in his house. It was free. And he got sick and tired of people drinking half a can of Coke, leaving it around, going to get another one. So he made the charge him like 25 cents a can. And, uh, and you know, so then you get a story out of that, right? And so, but th- th- that show was able to say, we have all these stories that we can't tell in interviews. Or what is it really like, you know, what is it like behind the scenes at Tom Brady's house after, you know, you know what, what does he say before the camera uh, and what does he say behind the scenes? Can you imagine that? So we have that benefit. But I think if you have a TV, if you have a TV show that you're trying to sell, you really need to think about, the, you know, the main character, what they're up against, what you want to say that isn't being said, and you have to articulate that. I would suggest that, you know, you write the premise down, you write the characters down, you specifically give little, you know, uh, bits of dialogue that you think, and and just really be really passionate. Like I've, you know, I've always when I'm going in to pitch a story and the and the pilots that I've sold, you know, I I I try to know my material. I try try to really know what I what I want to talk about and why and and really have it rehearsed. It's you're performing it right. You're you're performing it, and so um, it's it's. But more and more, I think that because of the landscape of where television is now, you have to networks need to know what they're selling to their audience and what dif- what's differentiating it, you know, from uh, you know. So just look at you know what's out there. I'm not saying look at what's out there and try to, but just see. It's like you know you can you can be doing your work right now uh, as you're thinking about your pitch. Just look at the shows that are on and are succeeding. And think about, you know, what is the, you know, what is the marketing behind this? You know, what, what is the, I remember FX when I would go in and pitch to um, um, John Landgraf. And John Landgraf was a really smart guy. He would, he would say like, okay, you know, what is, the, you know, what is Nip Tuck about? It's about, you know, what happens when you, um, I'm not even going to remember what he said about it. But uh, I do remember what he said about Rescue Me, which is, is they save us, who saves them? You know, okay, that's a show. Now you know what Dennis Leary's writing about. You know what people get it. They they see this world of firefighters. What's it really like? How are they dealing with, you know, this pain? Um, so just be very very specific, and but also trust that what you have to say is something that people are thirsty for. Uh, as long as you make it sound like you know something that is your experience, because I think what what networks need, what viewers need, what an audience needs, what what readers need, is that they want to feel less alone by you showing something about you know humanity and and life and characters that they say, oh, you know that's where the bravery comes in, where you're where you're writing about something and then somebody's like, oh man, I I don't, you know I feel the same way, right? Why why was Glee? 
you know, so successful with so many young people, um, you know, older people might say, well, this is just, it's just a show about kids in high school. Well, you know what? The, kids in high school don't watch uh, nowadays. They don't want to watch uh, Beverly Hills 90210. They don't want to watch Grease, you know? <laughs> they want to see a show uh, written in their own vernacular about things that are going on now. And so, you know, there is so much going on now that I don't know about because of how uh, people date or interact or, you know, um, you know, text and, you know, I sound ancient here, but, you know, there's so much, that, but, I, but, I, but I mean this, I mean I text, obviously. Um, what is this texting? Um, anyways, let me put on a 78 RPM record. I've got some, we'll have a party out here. I brought my 45s, uh, some Elvis Presley. Um, the point is, is that there is a way in which people, uh, and we probably don't even use texting enough on our show uh, with how people use it in life. But I can tell you that there are there are young executives at every network in town who is waiting for somebody to come in and say, this is a show about how we live now, and this is the vernacular, and this is what we're going through, and this is what, you know, this is what relationships are like, and this is what... Um, what dating is like and this is what it's like being out this is what marriage is like this is what it's like being alive at a time where you know who you meet and how you meet and and the, and the whole world is yours to choose a, choose a partner from and what is good about that what is bad about that what is you know uh what is it like you know there, there being 93 million americans who want a job in this country and can't get one you know what is who's who's writing about that what can you say about that? What can you say about your parents and what it's like being older nowadays, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Don't kick us out. We're Thank going you. all night. Uh, let's take one from the back. There's somebody in the back. What about that gentleman with the glasses? He looks nice. Well, I, you know, I think that... Um, um, yeah, I think you might be. Uh, I think it's an interesting time to work in television, and I think that really how television is consumed and developed over the time period that I've started doing this show and where we are now uh, has changed. So what I mean by that is, if most com comedies are episodic in nature, which is um, this episode, they're on a camping trip. Uh, this episode, they go to their reunion. This episode is they go to take a Lamaze class, and everything is sort of self-contained. Comedy is usually, excuse me, the situation is, you know, here are these characters, it's in a situation, here are the sets, you know, th how are these characters in whatever situation they are this week, and there's no story that's going to carry over into the next one. Um, that was probably, and, and, and a lot of it is just because of how comedy has always been developed, the way in which we approached, you know, our first season, uh, and our first two seasons. But now people are, you know, they finish one episode, they just start uh, another episode. They, they don't, you know, yes, there's episodes that people watch, and I know Game of Thrones, and but but now people's like, oh, I'll catch up on all those shows are done. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna spend six hours, which is really a season of Survivor's Remorse. I'll spend three hours today watching it, three hours tomorrow, and I'll get the whole you know season done. And so, I think that now we're going back to even more trying to make it more where there's more themes in and around 
these uh, stories that are that are continuous. Um, you know, I think that uh, I think that I just you know I found that the the actors were so talented uh, that I wanted to write more. Um, you know, I don't want to say deeper material, but I didn't want to write such esoteric, if that's the right use of that word. Uh, I, I just wanted to go deeper with the characters uh, this season. So I think this season is even more dramatic uh, than than the first season, and and probably less comedic, uh, at least in the first few episodes. You know, so I, you know, I mean, I, it's just sort of like I get a story, and this, and this is what's been great about stars that they're they're just like, you know, what's I'm not just saying this because I've said this about them, you know, when they haven't been there. But they they're real uh, filmmaker friendly at Stars. If you notice and you watch the programming, there's no there's no credits over picture um, at the beginning. It's like it's the story starts and here's the story and here's where the story ends. And all of them there are very specific uh, about you know the kind of shows that they're making and how they're you know making television there. And they want to know more about. Uh, the characters, and they want to carry more story through it because I think people want to get to know these characters more. So just like you know, Sarah said, well, why is she the only one who talks with the Boston accent? Well, where's his father? Well, who's his father? Well, who's his her mother? Where are these people? And in a, you know, you're watching Seinfeld, you don't care. Kramer's Kramer. You know, maybe in the seventh season they'll give him a first name. Where's the, who's his parent? Who doesn't matter? He walks to the door. He says stupid shit funny shit you know but you know and so I think that I, I just think that we're getting away from it now and the thing is is that when you're writing for television now you better be great or, or you better be at least be doing whether or not other people think you're great you better be working as if it, you think it's great and you're working with a level of specificity and precision uh, and and exhaustiveness um, that that really you know, makes you feel like you're 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 just working on just you know a, a Fabergé egg. You know, you better be that detailed about your work. Do we have time for one more? Am I getting a high sign from anybody? Yeah, we got time for one more. Who's gonna be the lucky person? Who's got the best? You question? guys shut the lights off. Who's got the best question? My writers guild dues are so All right, much. How right about now. that gentleman over there? <laughs> you looked really really enthusiastic. Follow it up. Okay, thank you so much. Um, hi, Mike. My name is Chris. Um, I'm a hey, writer Chris. and an actor. Um, Right. So I hope that this question doesn't exclude anyone from the group, but, you know, I love the advice that you gave us that, that I think a lot of us actors get. And it's like, you know what, you want to act, write the parts for yourself that you yourself are going to act. And, you know, the dilemma that I've run into, unless I'm going to personally finance it or I'm going to take it a kick, Kickstarter, you know, any go and cross my fingers, wh what are the things that you're, you're pitching? Or what's compelling about that pitch to a studio or a network that's going to say, like, okay, this is not only a compelling story, but I am a, a um, I am a compelling actor, and I want to be a part of this as well. Please pick me up, and you know, have me be a part of this story. You know, what, what are those things that if you yourself are not a name actor, so you're not like a well-known person as a writer, but you're trying to attach yourself as an actor as well. Maybe they like your idea, but they don't want you. Yes, you're saying how do how do you make yeah. them want you? Yeah, yeah, and not just your idea. Yeah. Well, you know, I don't know, and I and I'll and I'll be honest. You know, like, look, I would. Uh, <laughs> I love what I'm doing, but I would I would still love to be Tom Hanks. I would love to be the lead of movies and and be acting and things and and show up and when people 
I'm not saying Tom Hanks does this, but you know, show up at work. I don't like this. We change it, make it better. I'm going. I'm going out. You know what I mean? <laughs> and everywhere you go, people tell you you're great. Tom Hanks deserves all of that. He is an amazing guy. But but so I don't. It's like if you want to. There's so many things that you can do in the entertainment world where you feel like it's creative and you can and you can be a part of it. But sometimes you just have to. Like for me. I, you know, if I wasn't necessary. I still don't get the acting parts that I wish I could get. And, and why, why is that? You know, what I mean, you're you get older, your appearance changes. You there are not as many parts for people. You know, uh, you know, as f- you know, fifty year old guy. Um, you know, you're always up against how you look when you're an actor. And and look, and look, it's a non essential industry. We've all, inv- uh, anyone who's an actor, we have invited ourselves into it. I don't think that there is any career where people forewarn you more, I mean this, about not going into it or how hard it is than a writer. I mean, an actor or, or well, not, not, now I am a writer, but, but as an actor, I mean, the people just, you know, they discourage you from day one from doing it. And, and, uh, and good, because there's a lot of people who never leave their hometown to pursue it in a professional way. They're still acting and, and still doing stuff, but they, they don't come and do it because people say, wow, it's going to be hard. Um, so I don't, know, I don't know what to say other than if you, if you write stuff that you care about and you write parts for yourself that feel, no matter what age you are, that are authentic and true and you're not stretching... There are stories about people like you that people want to see and hear. Now, they may not, you know, slap down dollars, but I will say this. If you're an actor, the best way to get your career going is to write. And so if you are an actor, start writing now. And if you say that you can't write, then that means you can't argue in life, and you should... And if you can't argue in life, start learning how to do it. And and I, I mean this. I can't tell you the amount of acting jobs that have come to me because when I've gone in to with an idea, uh, I've met executives where I've talked about um, the idea that I was working on. Maybe they went for it or they didn't go for it. But then later when I was up for an acting job, they said, yeah, I met that guy for an hour. He didn't seem like a lunatic. You know, let's watch his audition. Okay, he had a nice audition. I like him. Let's give him the part. You know, this business is about relationships. It's about the long haul. It's about constantly doing good work. It's about supporting other people. It's about being around other people who are supportive. You know, the fact that you have all come to this, if you're not my friend or related to me, uh, and thought that there might be some nugget you could walk away with, uh, that might be useful to you already puts you way ahead of the people who are sitting around not doing anything and waiting for inspiration to happen. But um, but 
really, if you can be me uh, growing up in Nashua, New Hampshire, and at one point sitting up here uh, being interviewed by the lovely Sarah at the Writers Guild, uh, giving, <laughs> giving a master class on, well, it's not, a, I mean, when I heard master class, I thought it was going to be like that uh, Terrence McNally play, like Maria Callas. I was like, what am I, I going to get people up here and criticize their writing? I was like, what are you doing? That's what I was hoping. Uh, <laughs> it was going to be like some emotional drama in a way that I was like, no, no, I'll just answer some questions. I can, I can, I can do that. Come on, one more question. Let me do one more. One more, one more. All right, you pick, you pick. Yes. Um, you were talking earlier about hiring writers, and I was wondering, do you want to read original scripts? Uh, hiring writers to want to read original scripts. Well, yes. Uh, now, I'm I'm different um, than than other people. Um, I like to know when I hire a writer uh, what they care about and what I can, you know, what what can I what can I take from them and use? <laughs> what what how do they feel about you know things or issues in life, and what is their point of view so that I can take from that and put it in my show because I have so many stories to come up with. And, and that's a hard thing for a writer because a lot of times writers want to save all their good stuff for when they do their show. And I can tell you if you get on a staff, if you, get, if you have the opportunity to punch up, if you have a friend who needs notes, if you have a friend who's doing a screening, if you have a friend who's putting on a play, go. Go see it. Go do it. You know, work with them, work with them, because the people who are industrious and getting things done, these are the people who, so one of you is going to get a job eventually, and then you're going to be able to give other people jobs. But, you know, what I'm looking for is what, you know, if I was going to read one of your scripts, what do you care about? What do you, why do you want to be a writer? Like, a lot of people don't know why they want to be a writer. They, they want to be in a writer's room, and, you know, it's like, it's like the Dick Van Dyke show, you know what I mean? It's like, you know, like we're coming up with crazy sketches, and look, I mean, that's, that's fine, too. There's plenty of people, but, uh, you know, for me, why I'm a writer is because I think about things a lot and I love theater and I loved theater and I loved I love the transformative experience about it when when I see a movie or people are conveying ideas and um, that's what I love about it and so that's I know that's 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 what I'm writing about like you know Cam Calloway is a guy who's like how do you how is he trying to be a good guy in a crazy world and um, and then there's people all around him were like why do you even care how to be a good guy in a crazy world. Don't don't spend your money on other people because money is the only thing that lasts. Just take care of this group of people right now. So if if you know what you want to write about, then you you can always write about anything. And then when you come and talk, you also have to help your agents and your managers and, and, and people when they say, well, what it is what is it that you write about? It's like, well, like I would go and I'd always say to uh people when I met I'd go have a development meeting this is this is after I you know got an agent and would set up and I'd go to a studio and I'd say this is what I'm good about I'm good at writing about men and women I'm good about writing about friendship and um and I'm good about writing about contemporary situations that's what I'm good at not a superhero guy not uh, a guy who writes uh, stuff about you know historical stuff um, not somebody who wants to write sci-fi or futuristic. Like, I, this is what I care about, and I can write about it for days because I have opinions on it for days, and it's what interests me. And so that's, you know, people need, you need to figure out where you fit, right? You're an actor. You better know what it is that you do. I'm this guy. 
you know the guy who does this thing? That's what I do, and I'm good at that. And then you get a job there, and you do that, and you, you're really good at that, and then you talk about all the other things that you want to do, and maybe you, you're, you're eventually allowed to stretch. But you know, this business is about convincing other people how you can make them money. That's what it's about. And how are you, you know, how are you stable? How are you good to work with? How do you work hard? You know, all that other stuff. I'm answering one more question. Go ahead, give me one more. I'm giving away the mic. No, I'm going. Yeah, I've got one real quick. Wait, uh, wait, right here. Oh. Yeah. Here, wait for the mic. Hi. Oh. Thanks. Okay. So I'd love your advice and the advice that you got from John Wells on show running. Uh, well, John Wells, I mean, it, that was, um, I worked on that show for four years. And um, here's a great piece of advice that John Wells gave. And every time I don't follow it, <laughs> I'm just looking at Pat and Carmi. Um, because the, this is, so John Wells said, if you're getting a note, they're bumping on something. And so you either better make it clearer or, um, and make sure that you're making it clear what you're trying to get across and why in a script. So you get a note, you say, well, why does this person do this? You better be absolutely clear what you're trying to get across. And John oftentimes will end a scene and he'll say, um, off, uh, colon, uh, you know, Joe feeling dejected that the conversation is not gone. This is not something that John Wells would write, but I'm just saying it's like he's going to be very clear as you're going through your script of what's going on in the scene. And to the point where me, and, and I've run into trouble because I'm trying to put so much dialogue in a script that I'm taking away action lines so people don't know what's going on because I want to get another joke in. Or I want to make this, oh, I have this, this monologue so good. It's just like, oh, my God. And then they turn the page. It says continued, and then they keep going. You know? And, and so John would say, like, John is a, you know, I, I worked with him, for, like I said, for four years. He was in the room every day and never, never would get uh, um, emotional, um, never would, uh, you know, lose his temper, was just very measured, was very calm. He was also somebody who knew that if you, and this is a little bit about, you know, the hourglass, is that if you show up, if you sit down and you work, maybe the first 20 minutes won't be great. Maybe the first two hours won't be great, but you'll have something, you know. It's allowing yourself, and this is what we don't do enough, is there time for contemplation? Is there time for reflection? Is there time for thought? You know, we just always just, I mean, all of us, it's just like there's so much, right? This emails on people. Why didn't you call me back? I was like, because I got so many emails. And I go on here, and I go on. And it's just, it's crazy. And so you can't even have an original thought because you've not created any space. I don't say this as a person who's like, I. you go to my house and there's some serene room where I think about it's nuts. It's 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 chaos. It's the you know you're writing wherever you can write, but you know that's John's thing is is you know if you get a note from somebody, don't be immediately reactive and you don't 
get it. Like, you don't get, you know, here's a note back to you. You don't get it. And the, and the truth is, is that that's how I think every time, you know. Now, so, but if you take a step back and you say, okay, they're not getting it. So I'm trying to convey something and they're not getting it. How do I make that clear? Because you're telling a story. Are they following the story? Is your attention where it should be? Um, so that's the, you know, for me, in terms of, um, you know, what my advice as a showrunner would be is just, you know, know, you know, know if you're going to pitch stories to me, what is the mistake that the characters made? How do we, because I don't like to see stories about, oh, society is so bad. Oh, my God. There's no jobs out there in America. Isn't it? We've got to make, why is there such a problem with blah, blah, blah? It's just a horrible world we live in. We know that, right? And, th and those are sometimes, it's like, but as individuals, uh, how we start these, um, how, how we clean up our own houses, right? How do we take the, you know, the, the board out of our own eye before we take the speck out of our neighbors? You know, what do we do? You know, the, when, when we are, as individuals, um, living lives where we feel kind and good and, and not, um, you know, not ruled by regret or shame or mistakes. We're able to be more present. We're able to be better neighbors. We're able to be better friends. We're able to do that. And so for me, uh, I'm always about how do I, not only how do I live like that, but how do I write stories about that so that uh, other people either connect with, you know, if you're able to see a story and say, you know what, maybe I shouldn't do that because I remember that show about the thing where, or even, you know, oh, remember that conversation that that couple had and that thing? We're not much different than that, and they worked it out. We can do that. You know, that's what I think about. All right, then in closing. No, one more. Oh. I'll stand up. I'll stand up. I'll answer this one standing answer up. To them, but right. Last He's one. Keep no, I'm standing up. Where do you? You're gonna have to tackle. Go ahead. <laughs> okay. We got. All right, so. Do you feel like I put on a suit twice a year whether someone dies or not, okay? So the fact that I'm in this suit, I'm keeping it on. Fair enough. The minute I get home, I'm taking it off. So do you feel like being an actor has changed how you write, and do you feel like having another creative endeavor is important to be a writer? I, I don't think it's important to be a writer. I do think if you're an actor and you don't know your lines, you will get less of them. And that is the absolute truth. And so I mean this. If you're an actor and you get, and being a professional actor, I've learned this the hard way as an actor, and I, I think of it even before a script. If, you're work, if you work on a play or you work on a, a TV show or you work on a film and you don't know your lines, uh, you will get less of them and it drives writers crazy because before it even gets to you, you can't, like, on Shameless, it's still, when I think about writing on this show, like, you, like you, you break, you try to sell your story, right? And so you're in a room, and, and there's six other people there, and John Wells at the beginning of the season is like, what do you got? And you're like, hey, how about this? And he's like, nope, uh, what else you got? And you're like, hey, how about this? And he's just like, okay, anything else? And he's not mean about it. He's just like, when he says, that's interesting, and he puts it up on the board, great. If he goes, what else you got? And you're just like, you're panicking. You're like, I, ha I, I have nothing else good. 
Um, <laughs> so, and so, uh, and so you're, you're, you know, you're, you're doing that and, and then, and then you get assigned a script and you write your outline and then I would bring in my outline and six other people have notes. Like, so John really believes in team writing. And so what he believes is that seven people can write a script better uh, than one person can. And also because you're on a television production, you just... Everyone has to be able to rewrite one another and know a character and go through. It's just too much. It's just too much money going out the door. You gotta, you just gotta be able to all work as a unit together. And yes, some people end up writing some characters better than other characters, but that's what you have to. So you come in with outline number one. Six people give you notes on it. I didn't like that. What's this scene about? I didn't think that worked. Too much story here. And you're just you and you're ready to kill yourself because you've just neglected your family for three days, sitting in the backyard. They're gonna love this. And then oh, oh my God! And by the way, that's what I look like when I type. Yeah, like a like a raccoon eating a biscuit from a garbage can. Oh my God! This is so. Anyways, um, so. Uh, you know, they attack, they attack. It feels like getting, getting attacked. They attack it, they attack it, they attack it. Then you come in and they bring it back. They attack it again, they bring it back. So the, by the time this thing goes, the, then the network gives their notes. By the time this thing ever shows up on an actor's hand, it has been run through, redlined. I wish I could bring pages from like one of John's, uh, you know, writing. When it's just, you just, it's just completely you know, gutted. And then there's some scenes that last. Um, so that when you give it to an actor and and then they don't know their lines and they're on the day and it's dying, uh, you're just like, oh my God, that was so hard to get and that was so hard to argue for and that was so hard to write. But I have to say most actors, most professional actors just know. They're there to say the lines, do the lines, show up, do it, they nail it. And what happens then is you realize that there that beautiful sort of alchemy of you know a group of people coming together and breathing life into your w- words to you know to turn it into what what you hope is gold you can't do it without them you know it's like on survivor's remorse i write stuff for people that i could never play as an actor you know i can give them a note on how to play it better but i could never do it right <laughs> you know i i can give a note that i think would be make it play it better but they got to make it real and so you know the the acting has the, the writing has made me I think a better actor because it makes me appreciate a little bit more on the professional way is like you know we all start out as an actor as actors we approach a lot of work like theater people do let's work on the text of this scene and let's sit down and work in a scene class and let's talk about this but usually a lot of that stuff is like Tennessee Williams like wrote that thing and here's the final thing or Arthur Miller wrote it and John Patrick Shanley and here it is and there's no changes. I mean, you're an actor. They're changing stuff every second. How about this? Try this. Do, do this other thing. Here's another line. Here's something else. Here's another change. You've got to be so facile and so flexible and you've got to know the stuff that they have ready for you because they will ask you, I will ask you to change everything all the time and all you have to be able to do is tap dance and say it and relax and not panic. So know your lines. Pretty uh, silly thing, but yes, know your lines. All right, I'll let. I'm sure everyone has to go to the bathroom. Thank you to Sarah Rodman. Thank you guys for being here. We'll be back here Wednesday. Next Wednesday, we'll be back here for the next ten weeks. Learn your lines. Thank you.
Thank you, Warriors Guild Foundation! Thanks. <laughs>